Hello, I'm Stephen Groom. Welcome to Let God Speak. In Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48, Jesus spoke about hellfire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Does this passage teach an eternally burning hellfire that torments forever and without ceasing, or that the lake of fire totally consumes the wicked at the end of time? Please join us for this important study. On our panel today, we have Rosemary Malkovich and Alan Sonter. Hello, Alan. Welcome, Rosemary. Hello. Let us begin with prayer, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, please help us to understand about the subject of hellfire and how carefully you warn and counsel wayward humans to keep them on the right track. In Jesus' name, amen. So let us begin with reading from the passage that we'll be looking at today, where we focus on in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 48. If you would like to open your Bibles with us in the audience. Verse 43, it says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter into life um, halt rather than having two feet to be cast into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And I just want to focus on the two statements in verse 46 and 48 here that um, I've just read, where it says that the fire, the worm will not die um, and, and the fire is not quenched. In verse 44 as well. Yes. And Rosemary, first question to you. How do the majority of Christians interpret this passage? Um, the majority of them think that it's the worm is actually some disembodied spirit that after death um, goes into the fires of hell and is, is persecuted there in the fires of hell forever and ever and ever and that they never die. But there's nothing in this passage that says that because the word worm, which is scolex, does not equate with the word soul. The whole idea that, um, that people come up with on these verses actually comes from Greek mythology that said there was an underworld which was ruled by the god Hades and it's where everybody went when they died and that it was brought into the church, the Christian church in Rome at the end of the second century and that there was this place where everybody went to when they died. Thank you. It's not a Christian concept. Yes. And uh, in this passage, 
Alan. Uh, Jesus warns his audience against stumbling. Um, and, and the King James Version uses the word offend you. I think that stumbling is probably better. But um, can you explain what Jesus is warning about here, about stumbling in this context? The passage is a warning for Christians to cut off activities which will give offence to God and lead them away from a saving relationship with Christ. The Greek verb skandalizo means to snare you, to trip up, to cause to stumble. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates skandalizo as cause your downfall. And the International Standard Version causes you to cause you to sin. Consequ uh, recognizing that Jesus is warning against activities that break our relationship with God, causing us eternal ruin. Yes. And so the, the uh, Bible versions that use the uh, phrase causing you to sin is not wrong here because salvation is based upon our relationship with God. So causing really sin is, is really what cuts us off, isn't it? Mm. Mark mentions three body parts that, that are cut off, um, that, that cause us, that may cause us to stumble. What are they, Rosemary? Okay, just a, on a point of what you just said, sin is our natural bent. Yes. So it doesn't cause us to sin. We choose to do that. But the three body parts that Jesus said would, um, could cause us to stumble is, first of all, there was the hand in verse 42, the foot in verse 45 and the eye in verse 47. And, and how are we to understand that these three body parts may cause you to stumble? And, and as Rosemary said, our natural bent is to, is to actually sin. But Christ came to, to show us the way to have victory over our natural tendencies to sin, didn't he? Yes. That's why he warns us we don't have to stumble. That's right. And uh, <clears throat> the three body parts, the hand, that's what we do things with. The feet is where we travel to and go places. And the eye is what we see with. And therefore, uh, Jesus uh, is warning us against the activities of our hands, our feet, and the things we choose to look at with our eyes. These things can cause us to stumble, that is, to offend God through sin that separates us from God. And I'd just like to read Isaiah 59 verse 2, which says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Yes. That's the problem. Sin separates from God. And, and that's what the stumbling means in this context. Okay, so if we, if we do actually stumble, um, you know, go to places that lead us to sin, do things that are sinful or see things with our eyes that cause us to sin. Are we to literally cut these body parts off, Rosemary, as stated in verses 43, 45 and 47? No, Jesus is actually saying there are things that happen in our lives that would lead us to sin and that we need to not go those places, not do those things. We are to cut off those things that would lead us into sin. If there is some place that we go to, don't go there anymore. If there's something, a, a sense that we have, you know, like our eyesight is a sense. Um, and not to let our feelings control us, not to let um, our inclinations control us. 
cut those things off that would lead us into doing sinful things because sin separates us from God. Yes. And, and this is a form of speech called hyperbole, which is an mm. exaggerated speech to get, the, um, get his point uh, across in a very strong right. and effective way. And um, it should not be taken literally. However, if we continue in these sinful activities against Jesus' advice here and against the Holy Spirit's urgings, um, they separate us from God. Where did Jesus warn us it could lead to, Alan? Jesus states that these activities will lead to hell. <laughs> and the word hell is translated from the Greek word Gehenna, which was the Valley of Hinnom, just outside of Jerusalem. It was really the incinerator, the city, the city incinerator. And, and it says that the fire is not extinguished because there's always plenty of stuff to burn in the, in the incinerator. And uh, that uh, the uh, worms or maggots will always have plenty to eat, so they won't mm. be dying. Yeah. And so, in fact, one of the translations uh, of the Bible uses the word, the New Living Translation uses the word maggots. maggots. It makes it very clear it's not yeah. talking about any soul or body. <laughs> yeah. And, and so does this, pr what you've just told us, does this prove the traditional's viewpoint? And let me expand that the traditional viewpoint believes that the wicked are thrown into a fire and continue to burn and suffer forever and ever in that fire. Does this prove the traditional viewpoint correct, um, Rosemary? No, it doesn't, because Jesus is actually in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 48, he's actually quoting from Isaiah 68, um, verse 24. And in both of these pas passages, it's the worm that consumes the dead body that doesn't die. Yes. It's not the the body of the person or the soul and it doesn't um, die until it's finished its work like um, Alan was saying in the Valley of Hinnom in the rubbish dump um, and it also and there's verses where it talks about life it is contrasted with the fire that shall not be quenched in that it is not the soul that cannot be quenched with the fire but it's the fire that burns the rubbish that cannot be quenched until all the rubbish is consumed. Yes. It's not saying that the person continues on. So that's where we've got to understand what Thank this you. is talking Thanks about. Thanks for that, Rosemary. That's, that's very clear. So in Mark chapter 9, Jesus states that those who continue to offend will be cast into <coughs> Gehenna or hell where the fire shall not be quenched. Um, However, in Matthew's account of this passage, he uses, um, he says that the offenders will be cast into everlasting fire or eternal fire. And that's found in, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 8. Um, he, in Matthew 25, 41, he also says that the fires are prepared for the devil and his angels, which means that no human ever has to go into these fires. It's up to us whether we want to keep offending God in this way. So used by the, the Gospel of Matthew, does that prove that the doctrine of the eternally burning fire, because taken literally, it says literally that the fires are eternal here, Alan? Not at all. Jesus' hearers would have clearly understood that the words everlasting and forever meant for as long as the context allows. 
because that was the idiomatic meaning in, in, that, in that time. For example, when associated with God, and it uses the word forever or everlasting, then it means forever because God lives forever. Uh, the word, when it's related to human beings, such as in Exodus 21, 6, uh, where it uh, talks about this servant being taken and marked to show that he's going to serve the master all his life, it uses the word everlasting, but it obviously only means an, uh, while ever that servant is still alive. Mm. And then in 1 Samuel 1, 22, it says that uh, Samuel was going to abide in the sanctuary forever. Well, he's not still there now. It meant while he, while he was a, a, a priest of God. And in, then in Jonah 2, uh, verse 6, it, Jonah talks about the, him being barred in forever. Well, he was only in the fish for three days. So that's, that's a, an extremely short length of time to be called forever. Because it would seem like it forever. <laughs> I was going to say the yeah. same. Yeah. Yes. It certainly would. True, but in, in that case, uh, it was just a short period of time. Yeah. So we've got to understand that these idiomatic expressions, which we don't use nowadays like they did then, uh, they don't mean the same to us as it meant to them. And this is such an important point that word expressions can change meaning over 2,000 years. Let's have a look at other Bible texts. And starting with the Old Testament rosemary, is there other texts that prove that eternally burning fires uh, are not burning forever? Okay, well, let's look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 for a start. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud... Yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, that sounds pretty conclusive. They're actually burned up. They become stubble. They, they don't have anything left. Um, so, no, the Bible does not teach an ever burning hell where people are punished that there is just one of the verses that tells us that once the fire has done its job it's got nothing else to burn and it goes out it goes out in fact verse 3 says that the wicked mm -hmm. shall be ashes under the soles of the that's feet. right that's very conclusive they're burnt up completely so yes. there's nothing more to burn so we must deal with that if we if we want to believe in an eternally burning hell we'd have to reckon we have to ignore these texts don't we that's right and so um, looking at the New Testament, um, Alan, is there any more evidence that th these fires of hell don't burn forever? Plenty of evidence. Let's look at Jude chapter se uh, Jude verse 7. Jude's a very small book. It has only one chapter. Jude 7 says, <clears throat> As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and have gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire now Sodom and Gomorrah are not still burning you mm. can go over there and have a look for yourself uh, and uh, so obviously it means that uh, they were burned until they were burned up and um, also in 2 Peter 3.10 uh, it says that uh, when the Lord comes, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt. 
though Revelation 20 verse 10 states that, uh, I'll better look at that one because uh, it's quite a section there. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they would be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's again that idiomatic expression. It means until they're gone, till they're yes. totally burned up. Yes. Thanks for that. What's even worse in the doctrine of an eternally burning hell for the wicked is the implications for the character of God. I mean, what sort of picture does it paint of for the character of God with this doctrine, um, Rosemary? This one doctrine alone has been the cause of millions of people to turn away from God. They think that he is a tyrant, a terrible, hateful being, and they want nothing to do with him, and so he can't exist. And yet we know that that is not the truth. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It says in, in Ezekiel 33:11, In 2 Peter 3:9, it says that he is not willing that any should perish. Mm. This is the God that we know. He is a God of love, as uh, 1 John 4, 8 and verse 16 say. And why would he, a God of love, keep them burning and burning forever in terrible agony? For a few short in, years of, of, of life. Of on life on this earth. Yeah. He wouldn't do that. Um, it's exactly the opposite to what he would do. He would just cease their lives, yes. turn them into dust, turn them into stubble, yes. so that they were no longer existing. Okay. That is consistent with what the scriptures say. Thanks for that, Rosemary. And so we can clearly see that God has ordained eternal life for those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And eternal death or cessation of life to those who reject Christ and his salvation offered to them. However, there is a church that teaches a third state called purgatory. Um, first of all, can you explain what this is, Alan, in more detail for us? Yes. The uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church states, and I'll read it word for word, all who die in God's grace and friendship but still per imperfectly purified are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So clearly uh, the teaching is that there is a purification process after death. Yeah, okay. That's mm. frightening. But I noticed for the, the authority for this teaching is based upon um, not from the Bible, but from the um, catechisms in Rome, which is their teachings, and not from the Bible. But can the doctrine of purgatory be proven from the Bible, which is the authority for the Protestant Christian, Rosemary? Some people try to prove it from the Bible, from Second Peter uh, 2.9, and it depends on how you tra which translation you read. But actually, no, because purgatory is not compatible with many fundamental beliefs in the scriptures. For example, one, the dead remain um, resting unconsciously in the graves. And that's, for example, Ecclesiastes 9, 5, 6 and 10. Two, another foundational biblical teaching is that the righteousness of one fallen human being cannot be transferred to another. Ezekiel 18, 20 to 22. Three, that 
our only mediator is Jesus Christ, not a man or any saints or Mary. And that's 1 Timothy 2.5. And this one I find purgatory is really against. And that is that Jesus' death was sufficient to cleanse us from all our sins once and for all. And that's 1 John 1.7. And also another foundational belief is that death is followed by the final judgment with no second chance to repent. And that's Hebrews 9.27. Thank you for that. And, and um, what sort of this doctrine of purgatory for many Christians who actually believe in it, how does that relate to paint uh, the character of God? Alan. A well-known Christian writer <clears throat> has made a statement about this and I'll read it to you. Satan's work since his fall is to misinterpret our heavenly father. He suggested the dogma of the immortality of the soul the idea of an eternally burning hell was the production of Satan. Purgatory is his invention. These teachings falsify the character of God, that he shall be regarded as severe, revengeful, arbitrary, and not exercising forgiveness. Instead of the dead being asleep, awaiting Christ's return, this view that they're in purgatory, suffering there until someone manages to get them out. This is something I'm sure Satan would do, but it's not what God does. It's not scriptural. Thank you. Thanks for that, Alan. And so we see though Protestants don't accept purgatory as a teaching from the Bible, but many nevertheless believe that the souls of the righteous dead um, is already um, in, in par enjoying paradise in the presence of God. Is this true, Rosemary? Uh, no, it's not biblically true. And let me read a couple of verses just to show that. First of all, let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 29 and 34 and 35. And we're talking about, the king, about king David, a revered person for them. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now here is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is saying that David has not yet gone to the heavens. He's dead and buried and his tomb is right here. Yes, and so it makes a mockery of the second coming. Why does Jesus have to come again if the righteous That's go to right. heaven at their death? Is That's that right? right. And there's another verse, um, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 to 18, quickly. For if the dead are, do not rise, then Christ is not risen. For if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Yes. And, and so um, when they believe, when people believe in uh, life directly after death, what biblical doctrine are they um, undermine, Alan? Well, these theories undermine the biblical doctrine, first of all, of the resurrection, the final resurrection, and also of the judgment of the dead. Why is there a resurrection and a judgment as stated in Revelation 20 verses 12 to 14, which I'll read? Why is there any need for resurrection and judgment if the uh, 
souls of the righteous are already enjoying paradise. Let's look at those verses. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. What's the point? If, uh, if people are already in heaven, as some people believe, then uh, there's no place for a resurrection. Exactly. And no place for a judgment. So, so we have to get all these doctrines to harmonise together, don't we? We mm. just can't ignore some of them That's and right. they must be treated equally. Mm. Um, to prove the point further of eternal life, I would like to read 1 John chapter 5 and verses 11 and 12. And it says that, And this witness is true, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, but he who has not the Son of God has not life. Um, why does the apostle limit eternal life only to those who are in Christ? Rosemary. Because God, there's another verse that tells us that God only has immortality, and that's First Timothy 6, 15 and 16, and God gives it as a gift to those who have followed him in this life. When Jesus comes again, we yeah. don't have it naturally. We don't. So it's a gift from God to, mm. to those who he, he chooses to. Mm. Um, so this is called conditional immortality as opposed to the teaching of natural immortality of the soul. Mm. Is there any other scriptures that uh, tell us about that clarifies conditional immortality, Alan? John 3.16, one of the best known verses in the Bible says that the alternative to receiving eternal life by believing in the Son of God is to perish. To perish is to die, not to live on forever and ever. Thank you. That's very clear, isn't it? Mm. When we understand the meaning of um, immort immortal life and death. If, if immortality is a gift from God to those who believe in Jesus Christ, where does that leave the wicked rosemary? Burning well, forever and ever? Well, if those who've believed in Jesus have the gift of eternal life, then those who don't believe in Jesus and haven't followed Jesus do not have the gift of life. But the teaching that we've been talking about today um, says that everybody lives forever. The Bible does not say that. Yes. It says only those who love God will live forever. The others will die. No matter how popular this um, teaching is, it is not biblical. Yes. And that's what we've shown partly, but you need to go through the Bible and find all the verses and put them together to, to get the whole picture. Thank you. And, and one problem is the translation of words from, from the Old Testament into the next and eternal in the context of our lives yes. is only temporary. Mm. And so thank you, Rosemary. Thank you, Alan. That's all we have time for. And God has given each of us freedom of choice. This is dangerous because we might make the wrong choices and miss out on eternal life. That is why Jesus pleads with us in Mark 9 verses 43 to 48 against activities that cause us to stumble, that is, sin against God that will separate us from him and thus rob us of eternal life unless we repent. But Jesus said that he has come so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So with this is... With this in mind, let us um, choose to give God glory to God. We are glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. If you want to watch this, 
or any of the past programs, they can be found on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. If you wish to respond, send an email to us today. Thank you. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.